Word, we've been in a series called Summer at the Movies, and we've been having a lot of fun. And today we're actually coming to an end. Somebody say, aww. Don't worry about it. Next week is going to be super amazing. We're not going to let you down. God's Word never fails, right? But we've been in a series where what we've been doing is looking at some deep spiritual truths that really do apply to our lives. And we've been using movie clips, right, from some movies that many of us know to really bring those things to practical life, to really give us examples of how it applies to our lives. And so today, as we end our series, we're going to be looking at a movie. It's actually a documentary that came out in Netflix on Netflix a couple of months ago or maybe a year ago or so. And uh, it's called 14 Peaks. Nothing is impossible. And this particular documentary, this movie, carries a very strong message of teamwork, of perseverance, of dedication, and national pride. And it's about a guy named Nims Perja. He's a mountaineer. Um, and he undertook the daunting task of climbing the 14 tallest peaks of the entire world. And, he, and the thing about it is he endeavored to do it in seven months. He actually did it in six months and two days. But what's crazy about it is I need you to get an idea, a vision of what this actually means. He, he climbed over 8,000 meters. That means over 20, 27,000 feet up in the air. He summited eight, 14 different mountains. I mean, that is amazing. And this had only been done uh, a couple of other times before. The, the, the first person to do it did it over a course of 16 years. It took him to do it. The next person that did it was eight years before him, and it took them years to do it. This man did it in six months. And so when he discussed his plan of climbing these mountains, and he was trying to raise funds for this expedition, he was laughed at. He was mocked. People scoffed at him. They said, it's impossible. And it was for that precise reason that he named this mountaineering expedition Project Possible. What he was endeavoring to do was more than climb mountains. He was trying to prove that what we call impossible is actually possible if we would take the steps. Now, I want you to think about mountains for a moment. Mountains are symbolic, right? They hold a lot of symbolism. They hold symbolism in regards to accomplishment, right? They connote strength. They speak of greatness. But they also present the idea of obstacles, of insurmountable challenges. And in, this, in the Holy Scriptures, what we see is that they also symbolize a place of worship, a place of sacrifice, a place of prayer, but they also symbolize a theme throughout the scriptures that conveys one of overcoming impossibilities. I want to challenge you this moment, this holy moment where heaven meets earth as we look to the scriptures. Not here to give you an opinion. As we consider the truth in the scriptures. And I want you to be honest with yourself and to be honest with God. And tell yourself, what is it? What's that thing that you call impossible? And consider what God might be speaking to you and I today through his words. Right? And so Mark 11, 23 through 24 gives us a great example of this. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. And he says, listen to the truth that I speak to you. In other words, pay attention. Lean into this. 
Whoever says to this mountain with great faith and does not doubt, mountain be lifted up and thrown into the midst of the sea, and believes that what he says will happen, it will be done. This is the reason I urge you to boldly, to boldly, to boldly, to boldly believe for whatever you ask for in prayer. Be convinced that you have received it and it will be yours. Friends, overcoming mountains, these mountains of impossibility that we see before us, the things that we face, it takes more than sheer strength and mere determination. Friends, it takes faith. As we learned a couple of weeks ago, the Bible tells us that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. And when it talks about walking, it's not talking about a casual stroll. It's not talking about going for a walk. It's talking about living. And what the scripture connotes when it talks about we walk by faith is what it's actually telling us is that we cannot live faith. We cannot live in relationship with God. We cannot go anywhere with God. We cannot undertake any challenge uh, that may come our way. We may not, we cannot find our purpose. We can't go where God is calling us and do what God has commissioned us to do if it's not by faith. You see, faith is the equivalent of oxygen to us. Without it, we can't live. And so therefore, if we're not living by faith, the opposite is true. We're dying. We're dying. And why is that important to today's message? Because if we're, not over, if we're not overcoming by faith, friends, then here's the truth. The impossible will remain impossible. Today I want to speak to you from the heart of God on the topic, the edge of life and death. The edge of life and death. See, what I appreciate most about today's movie clip is that the edge of life and death that Nims uh, alludes to isn't a physical death. The edge of life and death that he alludes to is the moment of choice. The choice that exists between what we call impossible and what can be possible. It's the moment where we say, I can't go any further, and so I give up. And the truth is this, friends, that every one of us has creeped up or does creep up or will creep up to the edge of life and death. But few cross it. And the question is, why? Why? Why, why do we retract from those things that feel hard? Why do we give up so easily when it feels like I can't do it on my own or, or I can't make it? Why do we give ourselves excuses when it seems impossible? Why do we walk away from that which God is calling us to? And I would submit to you that Jesus gives us perfect, perfect evidence as to why. Matthew 19 and verse 26, the Lord Jesus says this, With man, this is impossible. With man, this is impossible. And we all have a this. With man, this is impossible. But with who? With who? With who? With God. Say this with me. All things are possible. All things are possible. All things are possible. Now let me ask you a question. What's your definition of impossible? What does impossible look like to you? 
We all have one. You know, just to level the playing field, I'm going to defer to the expert that all of us have learned to look to over the years, Webster's Dictionary. Webster, Webster says that the definition of impossible is incapable of being true. Something not to be done or endured with any degree of reason. <laughs> Something that is utterly impractical. Right? And what we begin to see here is that there is a definition for impossible that we have on our own terms. We all relate to that definition. But then there's another definition. It's God's definition. And the problem with impossible, the reason why it doesn't fit with God's definition, is because the only difference between possible and impossible is the first two letters. I am. I'm. As opposed to calling it impossible, why not say all things are possible? I am God's child. I walk with God. Right? And so, the, think, of, think about something impossible that you face. Think about something impossible that you are facing. And, and you see, the only way, what we see from, from Matthew 19, uh, verse 26, the words of Jesus is that the, the only way to reach that edge of life and death, so to speak, and begin to die is to exclude the one that makes all things possible. It's God. It's God. So remember how we were kind of delving into our hearts and minds for a moment and thinking about, well, what is it that I'm, what's impossible for me right now? Let me ask you a question in that space right there. How is God factoring into that equation? How is God informing your decisions there in your mindset? How's, how's that working there? See, there's two vantage points. There's the vantage point that we take that we say, well, God walks with me. God is with me. I mean, we, have, we quote scripture for that, right? He'll never leave me or forsake me. He'll always be with me till the end of the age. And the scripture does say that. But we treat God as if he's following us. When it's supposed to be the other way around. God may be with me, but it's because I'm with God. And I follow him. Does that, do you tracking with me? Does that make sense? Right? And so there was a day when a man named Moses faced a great impossibility. And his problem wasn't the impossible. It was his perspective of God. See, instead of walking with God, he treated God as if God was walking with him. Now, before we dig into this, we have to consider who Moses was. Moses was anointed. Moses was a deliverer commissioned by God to go to the people of Israel and Egypt and to declare freedom to them, to lead them into a land of promise. Moses saw plagues inflicted by God that no one could ever conceive or conjure up on their own. Moses saw God lead them by a cloud by day which kept them from the sun in the desert and a pillar of fire of smoke by night that uh, kept them warm but also kept them invisible from their enemies who were trying to pursue them. 
Moses saw the Red Sea parted. Moses saw the Egyptians destroyed as they drowned in the Red Sea as the waves collapsed on top of them. Moses saw God provide manna in the midst of people's hunger. And despite so much evidence of God's power, and we all have evidence of God's power. We all have it. Despite so much evidence, Moses acted like God's power was contingent upon him. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. One day while in the desert, the people of Israel, they grew tired. They grew tired of God's provision of manna. We don't want this manna. Manna was a coriander-like substance that they would take and they would put it together and they would bake breads to eat. And, and so they began to reminisce about the food they used to eat in Egypt. Man, remember when we used to eat ramen noodle soups? I mean, they, that's not what the scripture says. They were, they were reminiscing about fish and all that, but it might as well have been ramen noodles because it, it might have sounded good, but it was no good. Some of you remember those days in college, or maybe you're still there. I, the Lord be with you. I'm, I bless you. May you be broken from the spirit of ramen noodles in your life. Be freed from that in Jesus' name. Let me stop. Anyway, so they were reminiscing on all they used to eat, and... They were slaves back then, and they're going, man, we just wish we were slaves and eating that again. So anyway, long story short, they go to Moses, and they complain to Moses, and Moses, in turn, does what they did. He went to the Lord, and he complained. Numbers 11, starting at verse 11, says, he asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people, watch this, on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why, did you, why, why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? <laughs> Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. This, if this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. You see what I'm talking about? Moses is turning to God, but he's not factoring God at all into the equation. And this teaches us our first lesson. This teaches us something that we must reflect on. But friends, we must apply the truth. We must turn things around. The first thing that we see is that the impossible will never be possible as long as you're in the way. Impossible can never turn to possible as long as you and I are in the way. Somebody tell somebody else, get out the way. Tell a few other people, get out the way. Man, look at yourself and tell yourself, get out the way. Yeah, seriously, we got to get out the way. Oftentimes, we confuse God's role in his plans. 
We act, listen, we act like God's part is guidance and our part is provision. And as long as we approach things this way, friends, we will get the same results that Moses did. Listen to me. The call will get heavy. What God has placed upon your heart will feel like a burden. It'll all come crashing down. It's for this reason that the Lord Jesus gives us context for how we should be following after God. What it means to walk with God. What it means to get out the way. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus says this. Come on and read this with me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Notice that me doesn't mean you. Doesn't mean me. Read this with me. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find what? Rest for your souls. You'll find rest for your souls. What we find here is that the only way to find rest, to find wholeness, to overcome impossibilities is to live in such a way that we make sure that we are following, that we are depending, and that we're maintaining close to Christ. And the promise that we see here by default in this scripture is that if we're not, if we're not, it's at that moment that we stop learning and we stop living because faith can't work there. And things, everything around us will slowly begin to die. I believe it was a holy moment this, this morning when Pastor Nett was just ministering. She was just saying, some of you have lost your passion. And you've lost your passion You've lost your fire because you have been trying to lead Jesus instead of Jesus leading you. Yeah. And what starts to die is not this physical life. That's the last part. What starts to die is we start to die in our emotions. We start to die in, in our experience of the blessing of God. We start to die in our, in, in our genuine passion and desire for the purposes of God. We start to die in our joy. We start to die in our relationship with Christ and with others. And we make excuses as to why. We tell ourselves things like life is hard. I've had a tough time. Nobody cares for me. And what we're doing is we're trying to yoke Jesus instead of being yoked to him. We're not walking with God. We're treating God as if he's walking with us and it's all on us. So anyway, back to Moses. Moses uh, has this moment with God where God tells him that he God himself will provide Israel enough quail for an entire month. And get this, Moses finds it hard to believe. Listen to what the scripture says, Numbers 11, starting at verse 21. Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. And you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? Would they have enough flocks and herds? Well, I'm sorry, would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? 
would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? <laughs> Consider what Moses is saying. God, God Almighty, God creator of all creation, God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, God, I don't think you created enough to supply their need. I, I just don't think that your bank account is set up that way. I, I just don't think you can, God, is what he's saying. And what this, and, and, and now remember, we heard a lot of me, I, right, in Moses, right? He's all focused on himself. He's, he's seeing impossible because he's looking at himself. He's putting all the burden on himself. And what this teaches us, our second point is, a problem is only as big as you make it. God, you've placed this ministry on my heart. But, but the provision's not there. God, what's going on? What's wrong? See, you're exaggerating the problem instead of magnifying the size of your God. Moses made the same mistake that we often make. When problems arise, isn't it true that we tend to familiarize ourselves with them? I mean, like, we look at it from every angle. Right? We're like, like we, 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 check this out. Some of us, we go to support groups. And they're no support at all. Let me tell you why they're no support at all. Because we're around the same people going through the same stuff talking the same junk, have the same experiences, and all we do is look at the issue from every single angle. And then we go, I feel supported. Listen, we Google it. We go on WebMD. We call everyone and their mother. We obsess, and then we go to God, and we go, Almighty God, Father of all creation, Master of all the heavens and the earth, the sky is falling. Everything's going to bits and pieces. And we pray out of desperation. We, we go to church hoping for a blessing. We, we put out a... We cast a wide net on social media and we say, I need all my prayer warriors to rise up and pray with me and pray for me. Because if we all just pray in one accord and we're all praying about the same situation, maybe it'll be loud enough for God to hear it. Meanwhile, God can't do anything. Let me tell you why. Because we have turned a molehill into a mountain. We have taken a problem and called it an impossibility. And God can't touch that, not because he's not able, but because you and I are not willing. We're not willing. And what we need to do is stop and remember who God is. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here when we begin to really put God in his proper place. Let's watch this quick video and we'll come right back. Hey, family. Many of you know, uh, we were recently away, Pastor Ned and I, and uh, we were in Tennessee. One of the places we were at was in Tennessee. And I'm here with Pastor Ned, 
The reason why I'm shooting this video is because it ties into the message that you're listening to today. Uh, the place that we're at is called the Cupcake Collection. And this spot started just a few years ago. Let me show you where it started. It started in this little house right behind me. And the reason why it started was because the founder, this woman, had $5 left to her name. And it was over. She had nothing else going for her. And she said, I'm going to use these $5 to do the impossible. And what did she do? She took an old family recipe for cupcakes and she started making cupcakes. And with those $5, what now exists today is the cupcake collection. Check this spot out. Look at me in your way, sweetheart. Man, listen, they make some banging cupcakes, but it all started with a dream where it looked like it was impossible. They took what they had and with $5, they started a business that is doing amazing. Don't ever think that anything's impossible. All things are possible with God. God bless you guys. The, the way that we found this place was Pastor Nett was looking at things to do in Tennessee, and she saw a video of this place on YouTube. And what you don't know is that this woman is a woman of God. And all she had was $5, a family cupcake recipe, and God. And she said, I've got $5. I've got a cupcake recipe, and I've got God. And she says, I'm going to take these last $5, and I'm going to make cupcakes. And then she took them to people that she knew and people that she didn't, and she started to give them cupcakes. And went, oh, my God, I've never tasted cupcakes. Can I buy some? And she did it again and again and again and again. What started with $5 today is a $10 million operation. Don't tell me that God is not the God of the impossible. <laughs> Listen, what we need is an aha moment. We need an aha moment. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Jeremiah 32, 17 says this. The prophet Jeremiah says, Ah, ah, sovereign Lord. Aha, Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing, 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 no thing is too hard for you. Man, what could your life look like if you got that aha moment? And you realize, wait a minute, I'm actually talking to God. Like, I'm actually a child of God. And you know what this teaches us? That it's so much easier to discern solutions when we distance ourselves from the problem at hand. Let me tell you what I mean by that. We get so up close and personal with problems that we turn into impossibilities. We examine it and we tell ourselves stories and we play it all out in our heads to such an extent we become so familiar with it that we can't see God. 
and we can't believe his word. And what this woman did was she had $5 to her name, $5 to her name. That was it. And she said, I need some distance from this problem. Let me take a step back. And let me consider, I've got $5, I've got a cupcake recipe, but I've got God. And God, what would you have me do? Use what's in your hand. Okay? I got $5 and I got a cupcake recipe. I got just enough to buy a little bit of flour and some some minor little things to make one batch of cupcakes. God can bless that. I said God can bless that. I'm saying God will bless that. You know why? Because you take impossible out of the equation and you put the God of all possibilities in the midst of it. Come on and give God some praise if you believe that. See, when we create distance from our problems, it gives us God's perspective. It helps us see the possibilities that he's laid up for us in the background. And let me just remind you that Romans 8 tells us that God works all things out for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. My point being is that God is working. God is working. But are you working your faith? Are you participating with him? The last point that I want to leave you with here is that oftentimes, oh, actually, let me back up. So after all his complaining, after all his complaining, the Lord answers Moses. And he says to him, has my arm lost its power? Like, what do you think this is, like your Central Hudson Bill? <laughs> like, like, do you actually think the power goes off in heaven? And mind you, he's not even talking about his whole being. He's just talking about his arm. He says, has my arm lost its power? Now, now, now you will see whether or not my word comes true. And what this teaches us is that oftentimes our biggest problem is that we maintain a small view of God. We maintain a small view of God. Friend, if you are overwhelmed with anxious thoughts, if you always feel like, man, everything is just falling on me, I'm just crumbling, I've been there. Trust me, in ministry, I've been there. I wrestled with that belief as a man where I thought it's all on me. I've spoken about it here. Man, I I know that weight. But in the midst of carrying that weight, what I was not allowing was for God to carry me. And friend, God wants to carry you. He wants to help you. But you see, as long as we maintain a small view of God, our problems will always seem big. We will only see impossibilities. See, Moses forgot who he was talking to. He forgot the sheer greatness of God. He let life's issues overtake the size of God in his sight. The question is, how do we turn that around? How does that change? Let me tell you how that changes. Psalm 150 verses 1 through 2 come from the heart of a man that the scripture records to be the psalmist. King David. David was a man just like you and I. 
Man, he had challenges. He did some bonehead stuff. He found himself in some pickles often. Yeah. But David had a practice that we would be wise to follow. The Psalms are riddled with his songs, with his journals, with his intimate moments with God, where he spent time praising God. And let me tell you why that's important. Let's read this real quick. He says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Watch what David is saying. He's saying, enlarge God. Magnify God. No matter where you are. No matter what you're going through. Always praise God. Because you know what praise and gratitude does? It enlarges our view of God. But it minimizes the size of the problems we see. Some of us have been praising problems too long. And it's time to shift from praising your problems to praising your God. Because the moment you shift from problems to praise, and you put God in his proper place in your perception, my friends, your life will take a complete turnaround. Let's stand here today as we come to a close. The prophet Isaiah gives us a glimpse of the size of our God. In Isaiah 55, 9, the prophet Isaiah gives us a glimpse of God by comparing the size of the universe to the size of our God. See, the distance between our wisdom, his wisdom and ours, God's power and ours, is likened to the distance from one side of the universe to the other. Isaiah 55, 9 puts it this way. As the heavens are higher than the earth. He's talking about the highest, the most distant heaven. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, just leave that portion of scripture up there for a moment. Because the universe is so large that it requires an awfully long tape measure. Scientists have tried to reduce it to something that we call light years, right? And light travels at 186,000 miles per second. So get, get a glimpse of what that means. It's so fast that in the time it takes to snap your fingers, light has circum circumnavigated the globe Half a dozen times. That's how fast it is. Now, why is that important? So, to put the speed of light and the size of the universe into perspective, the sun is 94.4 million miles away from the earth at its furthest distance from us. And if you could drive to the sun traveling 65 miles per hour, and some of you like to drive a lot faster, right? If you were to drive at 65 miles per hour, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, it would take more than 163 years to get there. The light that warms your face on a sunny day, on the other hand, left the surface of the sun only eight minutes ago. 
So while 94 million miles may seem like a long distance by earthly standards, it's our next door neighbor by celestial measurements. So the sun is the nearest star in our tiny little galaxy known as the Milky Way. And there are more than 80 billion known identified galaxies in the universe, which for the record equates to more than 10 galaxies per person on Earth. In one minute, life travels 11 million miles. In one day, light travels 160 billion miles. In one year, light travels an unfathomable 5 trillion, 865 billion, 696 million miles. And that's just one light year. The outer edge of the universe, according to astrophysicists, is 15.5 billion light years away. And if that seems incomprehensible, it's because it's unimaginable to us. And yet God says that this is the distance between his thoughts and our thoughts. Friend, your best thought when you're facing an impossibility falls 15.5 billion light years short of how great and how good and how able your God is. Come on and give God some praise. Lord, today we come to you called by your name, known by you, loved by you, chosen by you, your children. Here we are, God. Some of us needing you in such a way that it's to the point of desperation. We're at the edge of life and death and we're dying. We're struggling. We're gasping for life. Everything seems impossible. And yet, Lord, you remind us today, with me, all things are possible. You've been magnifying the wrong God. You've been exaggerating your problems. And you've been missing me in the midst of all this all along. You've been doing the math like Moses. And failing the test. And God, today you invite us in this holy moment to step out. To step out of doubt. And to dare to take a step towards what seems impossible. And to trust that you'll meet us there. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church at the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.